Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew? Probably no surprise, and I love preaching this way. I understand that's what you are all used to. I think it's the way we should preach, verse by verse. I mean, God didn't give us the Bible. I mean, he gave us the Bible in sentences that make up paragraphs, that make up whole thoughts. And if we just kind of pick and choose those, sometimes we might get it wrong. So so it's great to, to see things in context like that. I think that's, that's, that's wonderful. This passage, Matthew chapter 2, is, I don't know, I've never made a comparison, but there's a, it might be the chapter has the most dreams in it. There's four different dreams in this passage. Chapter four, chapter two, verses four, uh, 12, 13, and 19 and 22. There is a lot of dreams here, interestingly enough. The, the passage is also about a very familiar episode that we all know about. The, the birth of Christ. This is the alternate or the other account of it from Luke 2. We have Matthew 2 and, and, and also chapter 1 there. And what I want us to see is that God controls everything for his glory. First week we looked at God. who can God use for his glory in the first part of chapter 1, second part of chapter 1. How can God use you for his glory and not your own, of course, and that was focused on Joseph. But now here God controls everything for his glory. And so much happens in this passage, that's completely out of control, or out of the control of Joseph and Mary. And they're supposed to raise the Savior, right? So they're supposed to keep him alive, keep him healthy, keep you know, raise him up. Wouldn't seem so big a deal until you have the forces of evil against you in the way that, that was made apparent in this chapter. These events are just kind of happening, almost like they're spiraling out of control. What I want us to see here is that you must believe that God controls events that seem completely haphazard to us. It's just happened this and this and this and this, and it's getting worse and worse. You know, this is a very familiar story. And I had took the opportunity, my son's Christmas program was last Sunday night. And we are so glad that he did not ruin it. And uh, although he did kind of, when he was a shepherd and he exited the stage like this, like everybody was supposed to kind of acknowledge him or something like that, I don't know. But he was perched back behind the manger, okay? And I wanted to talk to him about it. I said, do you know what a manger is? Oh yeah, that's where baby Jesus is. It's in a manger. Yeah, that's where he sleeps, like a crib. I said, no, it's not a crib. It's a feeding trough. It's kind of disgusting. It smells. And you know, we have some very good friends in, in uh, north central Iowa. They have a farm. And we were, I have visited, we, my son loves it. But you know, when I reminded him, you know when the animals eat, they don't wipe their mouth. They don't have a napkin. They don't use silverware. They're kind of sloppy, really. And to put a baby in something like that, do you think they had time to clean it? Probably not. Oh, it all looks so nice on the Christmas cards, you know, and all cozy and, and, and nice. But, you know, even when we think about the, the Christmas story, there's realities there that, oh, we know how it ends. It's wonderful. It was great. Mary and Joseph got to raise the, the Savior. It was wonderful. But it wasn't. Not if you went through this. And I want us to put our minds in the, with the perspective of what would it have been like for us to go through this. And, and you know, certainly we can't relate directly, but we can relate to when it seems like life is out of control, can't we? That doesn't have to take much of our imagination at all. We have an antagonist here, Herod, and he has an agenda, and he has a goal, he has a, an aim. 
But also there's something else going on that perhaps even Herod didn't know about, and that's the satanic oppression of, of the evil one to thwart the plan of God here. This is the best opportunity yet, most vulnerable opportunity to thwart, to thwart God's plan. Now, now, whether or not he knew he could ever do it or accomplish it, that's not the point. He tried. And you know what? You have, you're on the winning side. You have a winning savior. And with Christ, we have the victory. But you know what? That doesn't mean it's, a, it's, we can skip to the end. We have to live our lives. And there's going to be times where it seems like, boy, nothing is here that's happening that is making sense or that is, it seems like it, the, 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 that the, all our circumstances are out of control. But we need to understand God is in control. God brings everything around for his glory. And we need to see that God does control the events that seems so haphazard to us. And we're going to see reasons why for that. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand the text here. And even though it is a familiar passage, we want us, uh, we know that you want us to look at it carefully and prayerfully and not as just a, ma- a means of gathering facts about an event, which is important as that is, but to, to apply it to our lives. And Father, we know that would bring you glory and that will will cause us joy. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So so Herod, we're going to meet in this passage, had an agenda which Satan used to attack God's purpose and plan, although it never had a chance. Now, we think Herod is the enemy here, but there's a greater purpose going on, obviously. The king wanted to keep his power. He wanted to do whatever it takes to keep that power. And he was prepared to do whatever it took to keep that power. Now, I study history, and that's kind of just an interesting thing about history to me, is how do people gain power and how do they lose it? Sometimes they you know, usurp a whole kingdom, destroy a dynasty, get in power, and then get a disease and die. I mean, you know, that, that would be kind of ironic, but that's happened before. One of the classes I teach is modern world history, and, and really we're focusing on the 20th century. Had a lot of terrible leaders there, a lot of terrible leaders. But, you know, there's going to be an encouragement that, I, that, that we're going to see in this passage that's true of every horrible leader that you can think of, particularly in the 20th century, which was probably one of the worst, at least the recorded history that's pretty pretty graphic on on that and I, and I mean there's lots to choose from but you know what's one characteristic of every one of those rulers and from the 20th century that are horrible they all died they all died you can go to the grave and and that's an encouragement to us why because they're not in control they don't have eternal they're not the everlasting father what we read about about our savior they're going to come to an end but I, we have a god that is eternal and he is going to rule and reign. And then, and we are anticipating that. Let's look in our passage here, how we can understand why we need to believe that God controls everything. The events that we are confronted with, as difficult as they are, even though they seem completely haphazard to us. Number one is because God can protect you even when you're not aware of the danger. And I'm thinking specifically of Mary and Joseph. Let's read in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from 
came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Judah, Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for... From you shall come a rule who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, this means, these verses mean some things in, in, the, in the narrative we're looking at. It means that he's a regional ruler, Herod was, but he's the most powerful regional rule, ruler in that area, and, and, and he was significant. And now he knows what these magi, the, the wise men, are there to do. And he knows that that's a threat to him. And and yet, Joseph and Mary don't know any of this yet. And this is going to be a real threat, a real experience that, that has to be dealt with in Mary and Joseph's life. And yet, God is protecting them. Let's look and see a little closer in verses 1 and 2 in the Magi. The word translated wise men it refers to a group of scholars who studied the sky somehow and, and the stars, they are, they are thought of as, as uh, uh, ast- some kind of astronomers, but that might delve into astrology too, as far as trying to predict the future. Don't know really where they're from. I did a lot of reading on this, and, it, and it, you, you try to look, at, and scholars try to see in, in verse, uh, several of the verses where Herod finds out how old, well, you know, about two years that they've been traveling, so they try to look to the east, how long would it take to travel two years from wherever, you know, maybe Babylon, Mesopotamia, even further, maybe even the Indus Valley, maybe even further than that, who knows? We don't know exactly where they're from, but they came to worship the king of the Jews. So, so that is not good news to Herod. Why? Because Herod is the way he is. Now, Herod comes and he's, he's, a, he's out to get them. He's not going to stop until he gets his way. And this new baby king is a threat, and he takes it very seriously. Now, who is Herod? He, he is going to, he's the first in the line of a, of a dynasty that lasts a little while anyway. And there's going to be other ones that have this ceremonial term, Herod. And, and Jesus in his adult life will interact with, with one of the Herods as well, John the Baptist. But Herod the Great is the first one, and he was an awful one. And I'm just going to read you a quote here. Herod was not only an Idumean, an Idumedium, uh, in race and a Jew in religion, he was also a heathen in practice and a monster in character. We get that from Unger, so that's a pretty good thing, description of Herod because he was so awful. I mean, he was religious as, as a, in, in the Jewish faith because he's ruling Jewish people. He's, he's actually from, descended from, from Esau, although there might have been some intermingling with his blood, but he made a deal with the, not just the regional power, but the, the, the power throughout the entire known world at the time. Who was that? That was Rome. Rome was in charge, the Roman Empire. And so he made a deal with the, the, the Caesar, Caesar Augustus, that that he would be the ruler of the Jewish people and have the title of king. So, and he had negotiated that and actually claimed it before he actually got it. But anyway, they let him do that. 
But he was willing to do just about anything to hang into, uh, hang on to his power. In fact, five days before he died, he ordered that his son be killed. Because, he, he, again, he didn't know he was going to die exactly, but he knew it was coming and he didn't want him to rule after him, so he had him killed. Earlier on, he had about nine or ten wives, and, and just on a, the faintest of suspicion, he had his, his favorite wife killed and, and two of, of their sons. Because he, he saw things as a, as a threat. Now, he did some good things for the Jewish people because he's trying to, to, I don't know, win their favor or whatever. But he certainly wasn't a good king in that sense. And it says there, he was troubled. That word actually is a little bit stronger than what we even think of that. He was, he was uh, mortified, furious. He was very angry. This was, was very upsetting to him, verse 3. And all Jerusalem with him. That probably refers to a lot of the, the religious leaders and, and uh, civil authorities as well. Probably, because what the news was, there's going to be a new king. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, I just got to be this job. And he's been ruling for quite some time by this time. But, but still, he's come, he wants to hang on to his power. And, and so they have their positions because of Herod. So again, if the, this guy is out and there's a new one in, they're going to be out too. So that kind of bothered them pretty well. So he assembles these, these chief priests and scribes of the people in, in, in finding out where this Christ was to be born, the Messiah, the anointed one. Very key there. Because in Jewish scriptures, looking through the minor prophets, you... you there's several identifications as the, the coming king, even in the Psalms, the, identifying the king as God himself, and certainly in Zephaniah as well. The king is going to be God. This is a different kind of king than just uh, an earthly king. This is somebody really, really special, and that's why, why the, uh, the wise men have said they want to come and worship this king. Very, very significant there. But all of this is happening, and and that's bad enough. The king knows that that these wise men are come to worship this king, and now Herod the king knows where this king is in Bethlehem. Okay, all right. So all of this is going on here. What did Mary and Joseph think about it? They don't even know. They don't even know. How about in your life? Have you ever experienced God's protection and you didn't even know it? You'll find out later, boy, if that would have happened, oh my, that is a problem. Have you been in some difficult circumstances and you realize, oh, if that would have gone a certain way, I'm so glad God protected us. Didn't know it there at the time. I uh, had opportunity to, to travel to the Northeast India and and that part of India is actually restricted because of ter- turmoil in the, in the area. It's part of the India that there's just a little stretch of land that connects it to the rest of the mainland India. And it's actually near China, Bangladesh, and Burma, or Myanmar, is surrounded on three sides by those countries. And uh, so there's a lot of revolutions and stuff going on there. So mainline Indian people can't even travel there without a special permit from, from Delhi, and, of course, foreigners even more so. So I've taught at a Bible college there. It's a center of Christianity as well uh, throughout their history. And so there's a Bible college there. I've, I've 
went to it. And when you go there, maybe now there are certain flights, but most of the flights to get there, you have to go through Calcutta, Calcutta, India. So I've gotten to be there because usually my flight, you know, I land on one day, stay overnight, and then fly on the next day. So I'm in Calcutta. I've been there on my own probably about six times or so, even from coming and going, maybe seven. And uh, one time in Calcutta, I experienced a, a, a difficulty. Now, at the hotel, I want to look for an internet cafe. Now, maybe they don't have them anymore, but they certainly did then, and I'm guessing they still do because not everybody has a computer. So I want to go to an internet cafe and connect with my family and, and things like that. This is even before I was married. So, so they directed me, left, left, right, and then a right, and then a left, and then a quick left. All right, so I got it. So I go there, and it's daytime, and that's fine. So I get there, and I memorized it. So went in there, got in, did my thing, and connected with family. That's, that's a wonderful thing, because I'd been gone for a while. And, uh, and I, uh, you really miss uh, those connections. So time to leave. It's dark now. And it gets dark early. And uh, so, I mean, it's dark. And not all the streetlights work anyway. So I'm coming out, and I'm doing the opposite instead of the... So I'm doing right, right, left, quick, right, left, right, left. So I'm doing that, and very soon I realize I don't know where in the world I am. And that's a problem, because you go around asking people about that kind of stuff. They know you're a foreigner. And and I like the darkness, because they don't know that I'm a foreigner just because it's so dark, and that's good, except for I'm taller, and this is West Bengal, and most Bengalis are much shorter than I am. So, So that's a problem, too, and I'm realizing... What do I do now? So what I did is, I realized what I did wrong. When I first left that place, I went the wrong way. I should have gone this way, I went that way. And I was doing the left, left, right, right, left, right. The wrong way. So what I did was, I went back exactly and got right back to the the, the uh, internet cafe and then started at the right direction and I got back. And so I give God praise for it. But I was thinking later on, there was one... One street I went down, and I thought, boy, this looks crazy. I was thinking back about that. I should have never gone down that street. There was not one street light anywhere. And uh, there's buildings and stuff like that around, lots of... There's a lot of things that could have happened that went re- that could have gone, made things really, really bad. And I just give God praise thinking about that. You know, wow, he really helped me. And I didn't realize, you know, wow, that was really a bad thing. And God does that. Maybe it's, and that doesn't have to be just physical protection. In your case, maybe you're thinking of things where God has just, just worked out other things. You know, boy, the, the emotional turmoil that could have happened from such and such didn't happen because this worked out just perfect. We know that. But you know what? You can trust, you can believe that God is in control because he protects you even when you don't know. And that's certainly the case with Joseph and Mary right here. Interesting, too, I want to point out this word here. I will shepherd, it says in verse 6. We read it also in, from Micah 5.2. Uh, that is, from you shall come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Shepherd them. Shepherd them. That, that, that doesn't mean like, that's a different management style. You know, you can, you can drive people ahead of you and push them and push them and push them and get them to do what you want to do. But actually... There's a different type of leadership. Instead of driving them from behind, you're out in front, leading, and they're following you. See, and, and you look at who's, who's hearing this. Herod is hearing this. This is a wicked king who is clinging to power by, by uh, 
every means he can get, and he sees this. And this is the word. Some of our earlier translations don't, don't use the word shepherd, but I looked up the word. It's really the best word to use, and it's actually used shepherd as a, as a verb there. And, and he's realizing there's going to be a king, people are going to worship him, and he's going to shepherd his people. And he realizes, I would never do that. I could never do that. I don't do that way. That's not the way I rule. This is, this guy, this is a real threat to this king. And he wants to do anything he can to thwart this plan. Let's keep reading in our text. And it says, verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained for them, from them what time the star had appeared. He's got a purpose and a plan for this. Okay, hey, so tell me about this a little bit more, more detail. When did that appear? Oh, good, very well. Keep reading. It says, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may go, that I may, that too, I too may come and worship him. Oh yeah, really? This king is interested? No, he's not a bit. He's got a purpose and a plan. It happens to align very closely with what Satan has. In, in, he, Satan is using the ambitions, the wicked ambitions of this king to, to further his uh, demonic plan against God's purpose here. That's kind of underhanded, isn't it? That's kind of deceitful, isn't it? Do you realize the enemies of God don't play by the rules? Yeah. Is this going to happen to you? Oh, that isn't right. That shouldn't happen. That's not fair. Well, you know what? Life isn't fair. I think we know that. But what we have to see is that God is in control. God can control things. Why? Because this king's trap could not foil God's purpose. Let's keep reading. I want to develop that a bit. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, uh, they rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they, re- they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And, they, and going into the house, obviously they're not in the, in the stable or wherever they were before. They're, they're living there. They saw the child with Mary's mother and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and mirth. So, everything, I mean, you know, taking it from Mary and Joseph's perspective, this is really nice. This is really good. Hey, we're supposed to raise the Savior. Does anybody, is this like, is this only what we think? Or is this ever, is this part of really God's plan? This was probably something that they would great get, enjoy great encouragement from. Here are people that are recognizing what God has told us and offering them gold, okay? Gold's always welcome, Right? I mean, no matter who you are, that's always a good thing. My son thinks that, uh, I don't know, he's got in his mind that he's going to collect all the gold that he can and he's going to rule the world. He's going to be a ruled, world ruler. And as I was discussing with some, the biggest problem with that I pointed out is that, honey, you're, you're afraid of hair dryer, uh, hand dryers. And you know, when they make all the noise, he's just is terrified of that. that. No one's going to follow a world, world ruler who's afraid of hand dryers. So I'm trying to... Rain him in just a little bit. He realized there was a point to that. That, that. that was true. He couldn't refute that. Well, he's going to... That's, that's an issue. But, but um, frankincense. Now, with this 
kind of, I don't know if it's a fad, but anyway, it's, and then not, no offense, but it's just this essential oils thing that everybody's into. My sister's into it, and she sent me this, is it a diversifier, or a, what do you call it? <laughs> diffuser, diffuser, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it does diversify to whatever I stick in there, but anyway. Helps me sleep at night, apparently. I just like it because it humidifies the air. Because since we moved from Jamaica, I mean, the winters, I mean, everything. You got heat, yeah, but it's like really dry air. And I'm used to a lot more humidity than that. So I like it for that reason. But apparently, she didn't give me that, this particular, she can get frankincense, only it's probably more expensive than gold right now. I mean, it's just really expensive. You get these little tiny things. So she's really into that. She, she, she uh, assured me that that wasn't going to have any frankincense in it. But anyway, that's a really good thing too. And then myrrh. Okay, these are things, these are appropriate things to offer to a king. That's all wonderful. That's all fine. But this is part of the king's trap, isn't it? That it happened. The wise men, the magi, found what they were looking for. They found the king. Okay, but that was all part of the plan. But, except for verse 12. Verse 12 is good and bad in a certain way. In in verse 12, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed... Uh, to their their own country by another way. So the good part of that is God's plans cannot be thwarted. God's um, uh, the, the king's trap uh, could not foil God's purpose. God wins here, so that's good. But Mary and Joseph, remember we're talking about them from their perspective, and they're saying, what, you're not going to go back uh, to where? Oh, we were going to go back to Jerusalem, but now we're going to go another way. Why did you want to go to Jerusalem? Well, we were going to go tell the king where you guys were. What king is that? King Herod? Yeah, yeah. King Herod's real interested in where you guys are. Really? Oh boy, that's a problem. That really is a problem because there's there is a king who is uh, an insane kind of man, and he is after him. And whether they knew it at verse twelve or not, they knew it in by verse thirteen. Let's read. And and must we'll go on to our next point. Not just that that, that we can trust God because. A, a, a trap set for us can still not foil God's purposes, but also because God's plans can never be frustrated. It says in verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And you know, I'm thinking, Joseph's probably wondering by this time, boy, I, I've heard from you before, and you had some really strange things for me to know. What's it this time? Okay, this time, rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. That's what we figured from the wise men. Okay. So if they didn't get it in verse 12, they've got it now. And he arose and took the child and his mother when? By night. Looks like he didn't wait very long for this. Okay. By night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. For this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. Out of Herod, I called my son. And there was the... uh, then Herod, when he saw that the, he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. It was okay for him to do it to them, but it wasn't okay for them to do it to him. You know, unreasonable people are like this. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in, and in all that region who were two years old or younger and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentations, rape, uh, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. But, and then here's, I think, one of the best encouragements here in verse 19, but when Herod died, 
That is a wonderful thing. And this is what I was talking about. All of these guys have come to their end. Every dictator in history. Why? Because they're human and God is not. And that's a wonderful thing. But what we see here is God's plans cannot be frustrated. The king's depravity cannot preserve his own life and not can prolong his, his uh, kingdom in any way, shape, or form. Intrigue, murder, betrayal, pal- palace politics, all of it came to nothing because he couldn't f- frustrate God's plans. And it's just not going to happen here. And I think that's important too. I mean, in our from where we're perspective is, sometimes God wants us to stay there. Okay, fine. But sometimes God wants us. Look, this is real problem, real danger, and you need to leave immediately. So it wasn't that He's saying most Mary and Joseph, you just stay right there, and and somehow it'll all work out. Right. There was there was things for Moses, sorry, Joseph and Mary to do, and that was to leave immediately. What about in our lives? You know, I, I, as I was reading through this, I thought in my mind the application of, say, a supervisor at work. I've been blessed. Some, I've had a lot of different supervisors. And, and, you know, some are easier to be with than others and stuff, especially in the warehouse work I've done. But have you ever known what it's like to have an unreasonable supervisor? Somebody who was in charge, they're the ones that you're accountable to. They, in one sense, have all the power. Maybe there's an agenda going on, and you don't know what it is, and in some way, you can't seem to measure up to it very well, because you don't even know what, what's going on. Can God protect you that way? Can God's plans be for your life be, be thwarted? What do you really believe about God's protection? See, God was up to the challenge here, and we can believe that God is up to our challenges that we face in our life as well. It may seem, and in this passage too, who's the enemy here? It's Herod. Herod's the bad guy. He is the one who is opposing God. That's absolutely true, but only in a limited sense. You know, we tend to think the same way. Oh, there's a so-and-so who's really oppressing me at work or whatever, and I don't know what to do. And, 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 and we just, what we're doing when we fret about that, we're ascribing to that person an awful lot of power, aren't we? An awful lot of power. And yet, that's, that's the wrong understanding. Why? Because they don't have any power that God doesn't give them or doesn't allow. And you know what? It's not that, oh, God's going to vindicate us every time. What we're, what we're supposed to do here in all of this, and I think we see this, is we're supposed to gain, give God glory through our lives. That means by times of, of victory and blessing and, and assurance of, of, of his, his being with us, but also in times of assurance of him being with us when it's times of difficulty and sometimes defeat outwardly and sometimes anguish. But God's plans cannot be frustrated. And if we are to really, the purpose of our lives really is to bring glory to God, then if God is glorified by how we react and how we sometimes, in, say, worst case scenario, get fired or whatever, if God can be glorified in that, 
no matter, we, we don't even understand his purpose, then God is the one who gets the glory. We can be happy with that. We can rejoice in that. Why? Because in this difficulty, God was with me, and I was able to, to deal with it in a, in a truly godly manner. Or what other circumstance that comes into your life? You know, we have a adjunct teacher who, whose son, and less than a year old, Baby boy got a tumor in his stomach, and uh, and they went through a lot of things with this. Okay, so this is what we're going to have to do now. Okay, so let's try this and see if this works. And, and that didn't. They had their hope in it that it would, but it didn't. So then eventually, hey, there's a doctor in in Iowa City. Bring him over to Iowa City. That's going to help. That's going to be wonderful. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Got into the Iowa City. That's going to go well. Until it didn't. And they realize this is not something that you know, they're shooting them full of radiation, hoping the cancer will shrink because there's no way to operate it. I don't understand the details about it. But now they're back home in West Des Moines, and it doesn't seem like there's an answer for that, that they were looking for, that they were hoping for. How do you deal with stuff like that? Where's the victory here? Where's the... Crowds cheering. You know, God, you could be so glorified through this. You know, we're dictating to God sometimes how we want circumstances to come out, isn't it? And you know what? What's the? And I, I, I've been I've been challenged with this in, in my life, especially if it was my parents, because someone challenged me with their parents, and I'm real close to my parents. If they got sick, what would be the more difficult prayer? Lord, please heal them, or Lord, your will be done. You see the difference in prayer and, and the difference in the manifestation of trust for that? I can trust God that even no matter what happens, it's going to be okay because God's glorified and that's my, my key. That's, that's, that's what I'm, I'm after. Even how this affects our prayer, how it uh, affects our, our thinking. You know, I've, I've spent nights worrying about stuff. And I've been challenged that, boy, I have to put my trust in God. And that means more, or it manifests itself much more than than a, than a simple statement like that. But my mindset, my my uh, my assurance, my trust, and my rest, and my contentment with God. But see, God's plans can never be frustrated, and that is such a wonderful encouragement to me. What's Mary and Joseph thinking? We've got to go where? We don't speak Egyptian. We've got to do what? How long is this going to last? How are we going to pay for it? Ooh, there's an idea. We just had a visit from the Magi. We can pay for it. Okay. God's provision is there. But still, this is something that, I mean, you think of peasant, first century, Holy Land people, Jewish people going outside their country. Why would they ever leave their country? That was, that was a really big deal. Going somewhere where they don't know anybody. They don't know how they'll be accepted, how they could live. Does God ever ask us to do certain things like that? He could, for his glory. And knowing that we can rest in him, and we don't have to worry what's going to happen, because no matter what does happen, God is in control. And I'll just accept the circumstances. I just think of two men in the Bible that I've never been able to understand fully the whys and wherefores. And one of them is Stephen. He 
he did everything right and he still got stoned. He gave glory to God, even in the midst of the stoning. He still got stoned. And the other one is John the Baptist. From a whim of a foolish king, he gets his head cut off. Well, what did they do wrong? They didn't do anything wrong, but that's the whole point. We are trying to bring glory to God by our life or by our death. And you know, God is the one that's in control that gets to, that, that chooses and, and works that thing out. But, and we don't have to worry about it. We just have to, to put our mind on and, and be satisfied that God is in control. What I'm saying here is difficult for for us in our Americanism as, as far as getting the good life and this is what my expectations for life are. And I'm not saying that God's going to uh, require martyrdom of all of us, but I am saying that it's a perspective that, that would challenge us, even in perhaps your, your children. Oh, I want to go serve the Lord. Well, there's no money in that. Or I want to go and be a missionary. Oh, well, there's danger there. Well, I want to go and do this. You know, something for the Lord. You know, sometimes... I, I hear from statistics, not only from from our admissions department, but others as well. The biggest prevention for pe- for for young people going to Bible college is their parents. What does that tell us? That is that wow. People aren't trusting God with their most prized possessions. You know what they think is their possessions, really. But 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 God is to be honored and glorified in our lives, and that. You know, he, he provides us salvation. He sent his son, the Savior, to die on the cross for our sins. That was all, that's all free. We, there's nothing we can do to earn that. And we give God praise for that. So that's why we want to bring glory to, to him through our lives. Out of gratitude, not out of, of some kind of motivation of, oh, God's going to strike me if I don't do exactly what he wants. He wants us to do it willingly. And that means trusting him with everything. You know, this, this passage continues on, and I don't really have time for the rest, but, but the point is, is that we can trust God. We have a faithful God. We have a God that loves us and knows what's best, even though we can be very, very certain that that's not right. We can be very, very certain that we know what's going to make us happy. We know that we're going to do and, and, and buy and sell and do the things we want to do. But God is asking us to surrender that to him. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And you know, there is opportunity for us to even learn in this very common Christmas story some of the things that God asked Mary and Joseph to do that in different circumstances he can ask us as well. And may we be willing and up to the challenge. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to study your precious word. Thank you that it means and is applicable and as relevant to us today as as in the first century. Father, thank you for your plan, which was to send Christ to the earth to live and and thwart Satan's opposition here. But Father, we praise you because of what it resulted in is is the payment on on the on the cross for our sins. And we give you praise for that and and because of that, we want to serve you. We want to bring glory to you, even though that may mean some things that, that uh, we, we'd have to trust you with a lot on. Father, I pray that you would help us in this to, to understand the sacrifice of, of what this all means in the Christmas story, and we give you praise for it. Help us to model this in our lives, and that we could bring you glory through our lives. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.